All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn that way down, brother. Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 tonight. Um, I'm glad you're here. It seems like this is family week. Um, I know everyone's here to like look at leaves and all that kind of stuff, but I've had a couple people say, oh, we're not just college kids. Like, no, (laughs) we were never designed to be just college kids. So thank you, families, for being here. You give us a foretasting of where we want to become one day. Luke chapter 1 is where we are, we're going to land. And if you, this is your first time and we're so glad that you're here. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the guys helping to lead this thing. And um, what we're trying to do is trying to go through the book of Luke in two years. So start to finish Luke 1, 1, all the way through chapter 24, trying to knock that out in two years. There's a lot of reasons we're doing that. Um, But the biggest one is that if our, all of our, can you turn me down just a little bit more? If all of our foundation, if everything we do is built around this guy, Jesus, then we need to spend a lot of time understanding who Jesus is. Because so often us in the church, we argue over theology and secondary conversations and miss the point of who Jesus is. I mean, how many have seen or heard of these church business meetings that end up in all these different arrays and arguments and all that, and we're fighting over things that don't really matter while not acting anything like Jesus, right? Have y'all heard this before? A little interaction, we're getting there, thanks. So we've kind of entitled this deal, A Meal with Jesus. Um, One of the theologians that we've read a lot says that in the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. So Jesus obviously obviously spends a lot of time around a table with believers, non-believers, all the like, and they get the opportunity firsthand to see exactly who Jesus is. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see firsthand exactly who Jesus is. So last week we talked about the reason why um, Luke wrote the book of Luke. Um, And it's all, we call call the dude Theo, Theopolis. So he donates this book, he writes this book to uh, Theopolis. And verse four is kind of the big tagline of why he wrote it. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught that you can have certainty with the things concerning the things that you've been taught. And so one of the big reasons that Theopolis was having doubts was simply he wasn't a Jew. So you had this Jewish man that came to save Israel, to redeem Israel, all this stuff. And the Jews were so excited about this, but he didn't know if the gospel was really for him. Could God really use me? Could God really take me, even though I'm not a Jew, even though I don't really fit into this thing? um, Is it true that the gospel is for everyone? Is it true that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not meaning just one tribe, not meaning one ethnic group, but literally meaning the world? Can I really fit into this? And I love that because I think as humans, we are always asking this question, do I really fit in? Am I really usable? And I think probably the biggest reason is just life in Hollywood because what we understand is that everyone can get there eventually. You just have to work hard enough. You have to try hard enough. You can be usable. God can use you, but you gotta work, you gotta try, you gotta do everything you can. And these are the kind of movies that we watch. Like just think in your mind, what is your favorite movie that has a nobody going to be a somebody? Right, like Rudy, does anyone remember Rudy? Yeah, and people remember Rudy, right? Uh, What about Anchorman, right? He was nobody and then turned into somebody, right? What are some other movies, Gladiator? Right, that we celebrate somebody that was a noble one that worked hard enough. He worked through the system and became a somebody. One of my favorites would be what? Remember the Titans? Now, I know these are all like kind of guyish movies. Um, so, what about this one? Maybe Frozen, right? 
Is that like a nobody turned into a some? Not really, but well, we can, we can make that stretch. Um, so all of us have probably fought this feeling of not being qualified, not being good enough. And what happens when you get into a room, you get into an environment and you realize I'm not good enough. What happens when you get that first B or C? Some of this that happened in kindergarten, some of that just happened now in college. What happens when you get cut? I remember like one of my earliest memories thinking through this thought of not being good enough was my sophomore year getting cut from a baseball team where they're literally, we're sitting in a gym and they're calling name after name after name. And I played freshman year and I thought I played decently okay. And then we get to that and they say, all right, that's it guys, thanks for trying out. And just that awkward pause of the guys just looking around going, I was better than him, I was better than him, but evidently I never made the cut. Or so from there I went like, okay, I can't play sports, I'm gonna go straight band nerd. And so my senior year, I was drawing up for drumline captain, missed that thing too to my best friend, right? So we all have this feeling of like, I'm not good enough. I cannot be used by God. And Theopolis is going through the same thing. I hear the good news of the gospel, but is it really for me? Can I really be used by God? And so here's the truth that we wanna unpack. Um, our goal is to get through 42 verses tonight. Um, no, excuse me, 72, 72 verses. It's not gonna happen. I promise you, there's gonna be times that we're gonna just focus on one small chunk of scripture. There's gonna be times we're gonna focus on a big chunk. Tonight, it's a big chunk we're gonna to try to get through. But here's the big idea. Here's where we're going that the text makes this argument. From the beginning, God uses the unusable for his glory. So from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of God's plan, from the garden, God uses the unusable for his glory. So in those moments where I get cut from a baseball team, in those moments when you don't get that job promotion, in those moments where it seems like your world is falling apart and you don't fit in anywhere, I think the text is gonna argue with us tonight, that's exactly where you fit in. And in those moments where you feel like everything is good and everything is glorious and this is exactly where you're supposed to be and you're frustrated that God's not using you, it's probably because you're not letting him. So let me pray. And then we'll just get straight into the text for tonight. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that we can study, that we can wrestle. God, but thank you most importantly that your scripture reads us. And so tonight, God, I know that there are numerous people in this room that feel like they cannot be used by God because of their life. They feel like the wheels are falling off the cart and God, I know that there's another camp of people that are frustrated. Why is it God using me more? Here I am, why isn't I'm being used? Why don't I feel like my life matters? And so God, tonight we're gonna look into this, into your text, and I just pray that your spirit would illuminate truth in our hearts. Um, God, I know that as we walk into my heart is full, my mind is racing. We're all focusing on this week and what we're doing and where we're going. And God, I pray that we'd be able to stop, be able to slow down and focus on your word. God, we desperately need to hear from you tonight. We long to hear your voice speak to our hearts. God, we need you. As a deer pants for the water, God, we need you. Our soul is dry. We need you. So Jesus, would you show up? Would you do it only what you can do? It's in your name we pray. Amen.
So as we start to cover this, um, did you guys drive through the square today or this past week? You know, they're filming a Christmas movie, which is great because next week we're going to talk about Jesus being born in October. We're a little early, but it's okay. And so tonight we're going to talk about um, the prophecy of Jesus being born, but even before him, John the Baptist. So there's three guys or three people mainly, then a fourth that we're going to talk about tonight. We're talking about Zechariah, we're going to talk about Elizabeth, and we're going to talk about Mary. These are the three that we're going to focus on. So starting off in verse 8, one, chapter 1, verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a white one on your table. Please take it with you. That's our gift to you. Take it, read it. Don't feel like you've got to bring it back. It's not a library. It's yours. Here we go, verse 8. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So we got to stop here for a second. We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. That's kind of how we operate here as we're going through the scriptures. Zechariah was married to who? Where are my Bible scholars at? I, I, I play drums. I can't hear you. What? Elizabeth. All right. So Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the daughter of a, anybody know it? Priest. Okay. So Elizabeth was a daughter to the priest. Priest, daughter, married Zechariah. This marriage, everything about this was special. So a priest marrying a priest's daughter. It's not the whole, like, you know, PK reputations that they have now, like pastor's kids. They're the craziest. I'm going to have four of them. Good gracious, hold on. Um, like, I mean, true story. Um, yeah, I can tell this. True story, I was going to meet with a pastor this week about supporting the branch financially and just coming on to pray with us and encouraging and praying for us. And so I text my cousin who grew up at that church. I said, hey man, like, what can you tell me about the pastor? He said, oh, tell him his daughter kisses well. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna say that. Like, I'm not gonna say that at all. So that's kind of the reputation. Everyone kind of goes after the pastor's kids. Um, and I'm just really nervous about that. So, um, but for these days, that's not like, if you were a priest's son, you were a priest's daughter, like that was a special thing. For a priest's kid to marry into the priesthood was a really important thing. And so each division of a priest, meaning they'd only operate twice a year. There was an abundance of priests that had to run the tabernacle. So they only operated two weeks out of the year. So Zechariah would come in from the countryside, come in from home, leave Elizabeth for a couple weeks and come in and do his duties. And the way they would do this is they would pull lots, right? Um, they would basically like divvy up what assignment to do with the temple by lots. They would draw straws, if you will. And so he was chosen by the lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this is one of those burning incense deals in the temple. And I wish we could dive more into the history of this. But this, like as a priest, you could only do this once in your lifetime. So for Zechariah to be able to draw the lot, to get into the temple, to burn the incense, some priest never even got this opportunity. He got it one time. This was it. So this is most importantly his greatest weekend as a priest ever. Like there's no more higher epitome of excellence than drawing the lot to go in and swing the incense for the temple. So this was Zechariah's greatest moment of his life. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. Now, when the priest was in the temple and he was swinging the incense, one of the rules for him or one of the duties was that he was supposed to pray a priestly prayer. Okay, so he was supposed to pray a priestly prayer for the nation of Israel while he's in there. So he's probably not praying for a son at this point. So when the angel says, your prayer has been answered, it's probably, he wasn't swinging incense going, man, I really wish I had a son. He's probably praying, God, would you redeem Israel? We've been waiting. There's been 400 years of nothing since the last prophet has spoke. Would you come do what you told us you're gonna do? Would you come save Israel? Would you redeem it? And the angel says, hey, your prayer has been answered and you're gonna have a son. So, I mean, if it's not just weird enough to have an angel show up, like you're like, what's happening? And then you're saying your, your, your answer, your prayer has been answered. Uh, I wasn't praying for a son. I was praying for Israel to be redeemed. What's happening here? So keep going. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You see, John is the only person in the New Testament that was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So there's this thing called the Nazarene vow and we can get into that later. But what was happening here necessarily, isn't necessarily that. It was more of people aren't gonna know what to do with your son because he's been filled with the spirit since he was born. So don't drink any alcohol because people are just gonna call you a drunk because they've never actually seen anyone filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Protect this. This is a special thing. Your son has a special purpose. Don't let this go to waste. Keep going. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts to the father of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a prepared a people prepared. So John the Baptist was coming in to make straight the path, right? He was coming in to tell all the people of Israel and all the people of the world that the Messiah is coming, that Israel is going to be redeemed, that this world is going to be redeemed. So the, the prayer that Zechariah prayed is now answered through his son, through his son. But where there's a funny thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth that we have to get into and it comes out in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. They're old. You cannot have, I don't know if you didn't do this, but like there's an age that you get to, you cannot have kids anymore, right? Okay, just making sure we're all on the same page. Uh, the message translation says it this way. Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Do you expect me to believe this? Now, if we can just be honest, which is a culture that we fight for here, how many of us have read scripture and, and just sat back and said, do you really want me to believe that? Right? You want me to, like, do you want me to believe I'm an old man, my wife is an old woman, you honestly want me to believe that I'm gonna have a kid? 
Now this is some, this is a little fiery coming in because he's talking to an angel. He's not talking to some bum on the street who said, hey bro, just so you know, you're gonna have a kid. But this is angel talking to him and he's arguing back, you want me to believe this? You honestly want me to believe this? And I don't know about you, I don't know about anyone else, but like I wrestle with that. My faith can be weak often. So I resonate with Zechariah. You really want me to believe this? It comes down to a lack of faith. One of the reasons could be that he is an old man without a kid, that he has waited this long, that he's been holding on for years. And I know majority of us are college students. Um, college students, you just don't know what this waiting and longing feels like. They've waited 40 to 50 years to have kids and it hadn't happened. So he's angry with God over this. His faith is tired. Maybe another thing is that he was busy doing work, just doing Christian things. He was doing what he was supposed to do as a priest, as a Christian, but he was missing out on who God is and his faith was tired. His faith was weak. You want me to believe this? Verse 19 says, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Uh, one author said that faith is blessed, but unbelief will be judged. So what Zachariah is fighting for, what he's arguing back to this angel is you really want me to believe this, I need a sign. Like I need proof that this is true. Again, in all honesty, who's prayed that prayer? Who's thought that thought before? If you want me to believe this, Jesus, you gotta give me something. You gotta give me some proof. You gotta give me something that makes me know that this is true. And most of the times in that prayer, it's so just make it happen now, right? Be careful with that request because now he was unable to speak he got a sign, but it probably wasn't the one he was looking for. So you pray that prayer all you want to, bro. But just know he might choose a different way to tell you, yes, here's a sign, you're mute. Some scholars even say you're dumb. Like you can't hear, you can't speak. You're just, you're out of it till that baby comes. So let's keep reading verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And while this time of service had ended, he went home to his wife, verse 24. And these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from the people. So from the beginning, God uses the unusable for his glory. So what Zechariah symbolizes for us is the lack of faith. God can use your lack of faith for his glory. That God can use your lack of faith for his glory, that your doubts, we watched the spoken word a couple of weeks ago, your doubts, you have doubts, that's great. Maybe you should doubt your doubts. Because what he happened here in the temple, Zechariah doubted the angel, he doubted God, but God did not give up on him. He's using his doubts for his glory. He's using his doubts for his glory. So uh, two questions for you, where you're gonna hear these questions often. 
Do you feel unusable for your doubts, for your lack of faith? In your faith journey, as you're pursuing Jesus, right now in this moment, do you feel unusable? Do you feel like God cannot use you because of your doubts and your lack of faith? And number two, have you deemed someone unusable for their lack of faith? Have you looked at someone who's honest about their doubts and said, man, stay away from me. Like, you, what, you go figure that out on your own. God can't use you until you get your life figured out. So you, you move on. So question, do you feel like you're unusable for your doubts? And question number two, have you deemed someone unusable for their doubts? Because I know just overall, we have two groups of people. We have people in this room, they're struggling, they're growing, they're pursuing the Lord the best they can. We have another group of people that have just grown up in the church and just ipso facto Christian because you were born on a church pew and your faith quite isn't your own yet. So these two questions operate there. Do you feel unusable for your faith? Or do you look down your nose at others for their lack of faith and say they're unusable? The next person we have to look at who we've already mentioned some is Elizabeth. And we'll pick her story up in verse five. So chapter one, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who we just met of the division of Abijah and his wife from the daughter of Aaron and her, her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all their commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, here's question number two. We've got Zechariah who was doubting his faith, was doubting the angel, angel who was doubting God. So his, uh, his faith made him unusable as we're studying. But then you have got Elizabeth who, man, they were both upright and standing. They were blameless in front of the Lord, but it was her body, right? It was that sin that had got her there, that she was physically unable. She was physically unusable. So if we're keeping in this theme here, that from the beginning, God uses the unusable for his glory, another way that you can be unusable is physically, you cannot do this. Physically, you cannot do what God has asked you to do. Therefore, you feel unusable. One of the things that I love, and I talk about this sometimes here, um, you know who had a speech impediment in the Old Testament? Who? Moses, right? Moses had a speech impediment and God still used him in that. So there's a physical level there that he cannot be a preacher of the gospel. He cannot be a proclaimer of the good news of the law. He cannot do that because he has a speech impediment. He cannot be used. Did God use him? So if you're feeling this, if you've had this angst in your heart, if this would happen, if God would just do this, if my body would change, if my mindset would change, if I could just do this, then God would use me. But I'm just like Elizabeth. I am unusable because of me, because of my heart, because I don't think I can do that, because I can't beat this addiction, because I can't act this certain way, because I cannot, just like her, I am barren, I cannot have a child. I cannot do this. Therefore, God cannot use me. I'm unusable. This is where I am. Does God really use the unusable for his glory? Let's keep going. We get to Mary. Oh, first, before that, 
Elizabeth symbolizes the physically unusable. So do you feel unusable? Same questions. Do you feel unusable for physical reasons? Is there something in you you don't think God can use you because you're physically limited? Or number two, have you deemed someone else unusable for physical reasons? Have you looked at someone and said, man, God just can't use them because of that. God, they're physically unable for God to use them. Let's get down to Mary. Down to Mary. Verse 26. One of the reasons I love the story of Moses so much in that, because I never actually graduated speech, and now, like, here's what I do. So I'll just relate with that very well. Don't ask me to say any or words or else. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now there's a lot going on in this first thing. Um, the prophets prophesied that Jesus would come from the lineage of David. And we have to recognize that. Uh, but we have to really pay attention to where Mary was living. The city of Galilee named, Gaz named Nazareth. Now, the Jews didn't really associate much with people from Galilee because they were near the Galatians. It was considered unclean. They definitely didn't even consider talking to those from Nazareth because that's like right in the middle of it. That is completely unkosher. I'm not getting close to those people. So straight out the gate, does it seem that God picked a location unusable to use for his glory? Just from the beginning, God could have chosen for Jesus to be married or to be born literally wherever. He didn't. And that was a slip up. I didn't think Jesus get married. Don't let me as a heretic. Let's keep going. And the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Is this a good thing or am I about to die? Basically, her two options. Verse 30, and the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? since I'm a virgin. Now, at first glance, we'd say, well, hold on a second. Zechariah, like, is a question back to the angel. Mary did too, is it like, where's the double standard here? The phrasing of this is totally different. Zechariah was saying, I'm calling your bluff. I don't think this is gonna happen. And Mary's going, this is great. I love this, uh, but I, don't, I literally don't know how this is gonna happen. I'm sure if you want this to happen, that's gonna be great. But uh, two things, am I gonna die? Number two, how does a virgin get pregnant? Just clarifying question, angel, um, this is gonna be good. I'm, I'm fine with it, but uh, what, right? I mean, she's still trying to get over the shock. There's a glowing man talking to me. What's happening again? Verse 35, and the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the children to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month. And this is with her who is called, who was called barren, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant. If you're underlining, or if you're taking notes, make sure you under, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's response reveals humility and honesty before God that I am your servant, whatever you say. But we have to take a step back because Mary on the surface looks crazy unusable. Crazy. So here's a teenager who's not even married yet that is not gonna be pregnant. Does anyone know what the law of Moses says about that? Joseph could leave her, no questions asked, and she could be killed for that sin. So Mary looks unusable. I mean, I, I know now like there's this whole Hollywood, whatever, like teen mom teams. That's not the case for this. This was nothing to be celebrated, nothing to be rejoiced. Mary's life could be on the line for what she was doing. And she was a Jew living in Nazareth in Galilee. So even like socioeconomically, she did not fit in. She was not part of the Jew among Jews. Everything about Mary seemed like she was socioeconomic, that she was culturally irrelevant, that she was a teen mom. Nothing about her seemed usable for God. If Jesus was gonna come into this earth, this would be the last thing you would peg it to be. This is not how you would, if you were writing this story of Jesus's triumphal entry into this world, you would, none of us would ever pick Mary, ever. So Mary symbolizes for us the culturally unusable, that culturally Mary was unusable, but God uses the unusable for his glory. So two questions, and I think this is probably gonna be the one, if we're just really honest with ourselves, we're gonna, uh-oh, here we go. Do you feel unusable because of your life situation? Culturally, do you feel unusable because of where you are, where you grew up, where your parents came from, where you came from, what you're struggling with? Culturally, do you feel unusable? And if we're honest, this number two is gonna be, gonna be hard. Have you deemed someone unusable for their culture, for their life situation? Have we looked at people and said, huh, there's, there's no way God can use you, man. Blessings. No. Right? Is anyone else getting convicted over this? Have you been to Walmart at 1.30 in the morning? Do we look at people and say, you're amount to nothing. I'm so glad I'm not like you. I'm glad God can use me, right? But if we were in Mary's day, how many, would look at a, how many of us would look at her and say the same thing? But there's a fourth group that we need to talk about. It's a fourth crew in here, and they're only mentioned one time. Verse 25, thus the Lord has done, this is Elizabeth talking, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked at me to take away my reproach among people. So in that day, especially for the priest and the priest's wife who came from priestly beginnings, they were considered something was wrong with them. They were cursed because they could not have kids. 
They were cursed, they were talked down upon, they were looked down upon because they could not have kids. So Elizabeth was like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Take my, appro- my reproach away from these people. Finally, I can walk around and not have the label of being cursed. And this group of people, you never hear their names, you never see their faces, you never hear anything else about them other than they're constantly putting down the unusable because they think they are usable. They're constantly putting down the unusable because they think they are usable. And church, this is where we are. The largest majority of us will end up here. We're not gonna end up in the history books. Our names aren't gonna be marked with any great revival because we think we're the usable putting down the unusables. You will only be, and listen to this, this is a huge point to this. You will only be used by God if you recognize you are being used to usher in God's glory. So you are not the point, you are the tool. We will only be used by God if we realize that it is not about us, that we're not the point. We don't have to be good enough, look good enough, smell good enough, act good enough. All we are is what John the Baptist was, is ushering in the kingdom. If Mary for a second thought that this is about me and what I'm doing, she's missing out what her true purpose is, is giving birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All we are, church, all we are is ushers to the kingdom. And that's all we'll ever be. So we're never thinking, we should never be thinking, this is us, this is about us. We should be thinking, what should I do to advance the kingdom? Even though I feel unusable, even though I may look unusable, this is not about me being usable. This is about me ushering in the kingdom. So what should I do then to usher in the kingdom? If you aren't feeling like you're being used by God, you might wanna see who the hero and the motivation of your story is. If you don't feel like you're being used by God, you might be that nameless face in the Bible that throws insults and God isn't using them for anything. You are in that point unusable. You are at that point unusable. When you think this is about you, you have now become unusable. From the beginning, God uses, uses the unusable for his glory. So I, I just love this, this list, I'm just gonna read a list to you guys starting, cause I don't wanna jump ahead. I don't wanna use other New Testament examples. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Um, I heard a pastor say one time, no one like a church today would never hire any patriarch from the Old Testament. They just wouldn't. You, you can't hire, so let's look about this. Uh, are you gonna hire Adam? No, he was the first man that was a blame shifter because he couldn't resist peer pressure. Take Adam off the list for church staff. Uh, let's hire Cain, the force, firstborn among human beings, but he murdered his brother. All right, take him off the list. Uh, Noah, Noah's Ark. Anyone ever gone to Kentucky and seen the huge Ark, the thing that we're still talking about? Did you know he was a drunk? Did God use the unusable for his glory? Right, okay, let's keep going. Um, Abraham, the forefather, everyone, Father Abraham, had many, right? Who we still sing about, did God use the unusable for his glory? Yes, because he let other men walk off with his wife. He did not protect or lead his wife. Two occasions, he let other men walk away with his wife. Seems pretty unusable to me, but seems like God used him for his glory. What about Sarah? 
Um, she let her husband sleep with other women and hated her for it. Isaac, you know, talk about Isaac. Abraham took Isaac up and almost killed him. Isaac um, talked his wife into concealing their marriage. It sounded like an honorable man. Talked his wife into concealing their marriage. So if you ever like just flip over to Hebrews 11, you start reading through the heroes of our faith. These are them. And they're doing crazy things that would seem unusable. Uh, Jacob, who out-wrestled God, was pretty much a pathological deceiver, right? Broken hip, walked with a limp, Jacob. Moses, we talked about this. Uh, Moses had a speech impediment. How was I supposed to go preach? But did you also know that Moses killed a man with his bare hands? I mean, come on. What am I gonna do in a church interview? Hey man, I really wanna work on staff with you. I just need to let you know, I killed a man. With what? Like, do you have any weapons on you? With these right here. Security, like what? You don't need a gun. Like you're gonna kill me with your bare hands. That's Moses, the one we talk about. How about Samson, who was like, <laughs> whoever wrote these lists, who said, who put Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura to shame, right? Was hopelessly menaced with a disloyal wife and ended up taking his own life. And the list goes on and on and on. What about David? A man after God's own heart had an affair and killed her husband because of it. So wherever this lie is coming from, that you have to be perfectly, you have to have everything together, you have to have everything figured out for God to use you. There's two parts of that argument. Biblically, it's not true, but that's the point of the gospel is that you do, that God has made you righteous that he has imputed righteousness for you. The reason we talk about Mary and how important it was that she was giving birth to the Messiah, to the Savior. Why do we need a Savior if we can do this thing on our own? Why do we celebrate? Why are we reading about Mary giving birth to the Messiah if by any stretch we could do this thing on our own? If we could just white knuckle it, I'm gonna get through this thing, I'm gonna figure everything out on my own, I've got this, then why are we still talking about Jesus? You are, look at me, unusable if you let yourself be. And that's exactly where God needs you to be for his glory. If I white knuckle it and do this thing on my own, does God get any glory out of that? No, right? If I white knuckle every single thing and do all this on my own power, does God ever get any of the glory? Negative. So what does this look like for us tangibly? Okay, I'm, I'm the unusable, I'm, I'm there. What does that mean? Uh, number one, boast in your unusableness because that's when God shows up. It's a verse we talk about all the times in First Corinthians. I will boast, this is Paul, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses for when I'm weak, then Christ is strong. So what would it look like? I mean, good gracious, what would it look like if we were a church that just boasted our weakness, we were real, we were honest about where we fall short, where we are unusable, who wouldn't wanna walk into our family? Who wouldn't wanna walk in and be part of this community when we all admit, man, I'm so flawed, I'm glad you're here. I mean, it's like Spurgeon talks about, um, if perfect people, if you had to be perfect to join the church, wouldn't you ruin that by joining? If you had to be perfect to join the church, wouldn't your membership then just ruin that? 
I'm just looking at you, Kimberly. No, no offense. Here we go. You just looked intrigued. People back there are falling asleep, so I'm gonna preach to you. Right? So start boasting more in your unusableness. Number two, relish in the fact that you aren't the point. Whether God uses you or not, it's not about you. Relish in the fact, it's not about you and what you can accomplish, it's about God and what he accomplishes. I mean, you, I mean, just read through the Old Testament and you have guys preaching the gospel for their entire life and never seeing a conversion. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what we're called to? I don't know, maybe, but it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. And number three, dream for opportunities of God getting glory, not to you. Dream for opportunities of God getting the glory, not you. What would it look like if we got ourselves out of the way and said, in this situation, I know what I would want to do, but God, what's most important for your glory? This isn't about me. This isn't about anything I want to do. I mean, let's just, this is fall time, right? We've got all these fall things going. So we're gonna go to, as a family, Burt's Pumpkin Farm. Have y'all been there this year yet? No? No one's been to Burt's? Okay, one person. Go to Burt's, what's happening here? Seriously, you gotta go to Burt's. You're gonna pay way too much for a pumpkin that's gonna die in like two weeks, but it's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be glorious. You're gonna pay like 42 bucks for one hayride and it's gonna be awesome and they have talking pumpkins and all that. What would it look like if I'm walking up the ride or walking up the line to get onto the back of the John Deere tractor in this perfect thing and I push my kid out of the way and say, no, me first. Right? Look a little bit ridiculous, right? How often do we do that to God? God's asking us just to follow him and we're acting like we have the strength to push him out of the way and say, know me first. You gotta be the unusable. You've got to be, uh, this is not political by no means. It's just an example. This is not, a, I probably shouldn't even say this, but with this whole Trump campaign going around, um, evidently there's some smack talk happening. I don't know, I guess that happens in American politics. I don't really know. But one of the Trump's, uh, one of Trump's ideas that's manifesting itself is they have been called, if you're a Trump follower, you've been called the deplorables. That if you vote for Trump, you are deplorable. And so instead of the Trump followers taking that as a slam, they're saying, no, I am deplorable. If that's, if that's Trump, I'm, I'm deplorable. So I would argue based on that, what if we walked around and said, I am the unusables. I don't have to earn anything. I can't do this thing on my own. I'm unusable because then when God uses us, oh my goodness, who gets the glory out of that? And we get ourselves out of the way. And if we don't get ourselves out of the way, listen church, God will get you out of the way. He will mute you. He will do all, like he will get you out of his way. His most important thing, rightfully so, is his glory. So let us be a church of unusables. Let us follow the example of Mary. Let us follow the example of Elizabeth, Zechariah, and be the unusables that only God can use for his glory. So if you're wrestling in this room with the doubt that you think God cannot use you because of your doubt, welcome to the crew of unusables. Welcome to the church. Welcome to a body of Christ followers. If you're wrestling because physically you can't do, you don't think you add up, you don't think you can handle what God has asked you to do, that you're unusable because of physical limitations, welcome to the body. 
Well, here we are. We are the unusables. If you think culturally you're from a background that God cannot use you, that you're not educated enough, that you're not at a socioeconomic status enough, that you just cannot welcome to the body, welcome to the gospel, welcome to the unusables. And if you think you are usable, let me remind you, Jesus says he who is first would be last and he who is last we first in the kingdom. Let me remind you that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're exalting yourself as the usables and you're frustrated that God's not using you, there's a reason for that. It's called pride. And let's pray to get that out of your heart. And we're all probably somewhere in that spectrum, right? We all probably wrestle with a two or three of those points. The focal point though of this text that we cannot finish without reading is verse 37. Verse 37 is the focal point which ties all of this back together. For nothing will be impossible with God. You feel unusable, great, nothing's impossible. You feel like God can't use you, great, nothing is possible. And we've seen this. And, and so tonight, as we close, as we begin to pray, we end the same way we end every single sermon together. Every time we open the scriptures, we take communion together. Because this is the only religion, this is the only um, religion around that flips the script and says, you don't have to be good enough because of who God is, you are now usable. So we celebrate that Mary, the unusable, has given birth, we'll read that next week, to Jesus, the Messiah that has came and he has lived the perfect sinless life so that you and I don't have to. And he died the death that we should have so that we can have eternal life with him. So as believers tonight, let us celebrate that because of his righteousness, we can boast in our unusableness. If that's not a word, trademark, right? That's what we celebrate. So when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the fact we don't have to be good enough. Jesus did because of the body broken for us, because of the blood spilled out for us, we can now be used by God. We don't have to have everything together. So if you're a believer in this room, man, we're gonna celebrate that together in a minute. If you're not yet, that's great. But this is a time for us as believers to celebrate all that God has done for us. So we just ask out of respect that you would just leave that for us as we get to celebrate this time. And if you're not a believer and you wanna talk about it, please let me know. I just want you to know the gospel. You don't have to be good enough to be used by him. Boast more in your unusableness. And that's where God really starts to show up. So let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, we're so humbled to look at your text to look at the one you chosen to have your son. God, and she wasn't chosen because she was in the perfect class, that she was in the perfect region, that she had everything together. No, God, she was chosen because she looked unusable. And Father, there's no doubt that you waited for Elizabeth and Zachariah to get to their end of their age to show them that God can still use them. Father, I know that some of us in this room are struggling with that ministry and we don't want that. 
Father, we want you now. We want our blessings now. We're the prodigal son knocking on the, your door saying, give us our inheritance now. But God, if that's what you've called us to do, to be unusable for a season, Father, let us do it for your glory. Let us do it well. But God, I just pray for our hearts tonight as we get to celebrate communion. Father, would there be a mental shift in our hearts? Would there be a mental shift in our minds? Instead of feeling guilty and condemned for not adding up, Father, would you flip that script and allow us to boast for not adding up because you do. God, instead of feeling down for ourselves, like we just wanna quit, like we just missed our high school tryout, what is the point of life anymore? God, would we actually take that? Would you give us the mental shift, the repentance in our hearts to take that and say, no, this is for your glory. This is for your good. God, would we take heart in the men and women of the Old Testament that all their failures and all their shortcomings and all their sins, you still use them. And so Father, there's nothing that we can say or do that would disqualify us for you using us as long as we don't think we're the point. And so for, for the others in the room that, that think they are the point, that think that, that this is all about us and what I can do for God, not what God can do for the world. God, would you convict us of our sins? Would you get us out of the way, Father? Would your glory be the most important thing to us, not ours? Would your name becoming famous in Dahlonega and UNG and Lumpkin County and the world be what drives us, not our name becoming famous? So God, for those people, as we get to take communion, maybe this is a time of repentance for us to recognize what you've done and what you've accomplished for us on the cross, that you are the point that you came and you lived a sinless life and you died and you defeated death and you're sitting at the right hand of the Father. How dare us think this is about us? This is about you and your glory and your renown being famous across the world. Let us, Father, become comfortable in our new identity, the unusables. God, because that's when you use us the most. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen.